0: I'm Roshan Selden. I'm a current fellow with Our Climate um, in Washington State, and today on Is It Hot Enough, Rhea, I'm sitting down with Andreas Jimenez, Executive Director of Green 2.0, which is an independent organization which is working to increase racial diversity among environmental organizations. So... (laughs) Andres, uh, to get started, why don't you um, tell us a little bit about the specific work you do with Green 2.0 and why you felt it was important to take on that role?
1: Yeah, well, thank you so much, Rochelle. It's great to see you and great to see everyone this evening or afternoon, depending on where you're at. Uh, I thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here to talk about these important and timely issues. So Green 2.0 is a 501c3 for a national organization. And we take a look at the top 40 foundations and environmental groups, and we look at their hiring practices when it comes to people of color. So we'd look at how they're being staffed or not staffed, as well as looking at their board structure. Mm -hmm. One of the things we look at is are organizations being transparent. Are they letting the public know exactly what their hiring practices are. Uh, And so that's really important. There are lots of organizations who have come around and are doing that, and that's fantastic and great. It is 2020, and every organization and foundation should be doing this, but they're not. And one of the tools that we use to kind of look at this is we have an annual report card, which you can always find on our website at diversegreen.org. And this report card, again, takes a look at the top 40 foundations and environmental groups. Now, some of that data shows that some organizations are doing better. They're hiring more people of color. They're putting people of color on boards. But there are a lot of groups that fall into that bad category. And that's either one, they're not being transparent. And so they're not providing the information. So we don't really know what they're doing. And a lot of times that's very, for a very specific reason. And two, one of the things that we see on the bad front is that they are either staying stagnant or they're actually going backwards when it comes to hiring people of color, which is a big problem. As you well know, our environmental movement has traditionally not been extremely inclusive. When we've looked around the table at the leadership, at that who's speaking, for the environmental movement. Traditionally, it has not been people of color uh, and that needs to change. And so Green 2.0 works uh, in Congress. We work with the administration. We work with other environmental groups, foundations, uh, and other amazing organizations like our climate. And and we partner and we help spread the word and try to make a big difference in who's at the table and trying to make sure that that those who are represented at the table are always changing and growing and that diversity really matters.
0: Yeah, I think you make a really good point about who's at the decision-making table because as we've seen certain communities and specifically communities of color, they're the ones who are really experiencing the forefront effects of climate change first. And so if we really want a representative view you know, it's really important to have those voices at the table. Um, going off of that, how, how do you think having these diverse um, voices at the table, how do you think that will affect the climate movement as a whole? And why is that so important for progress?
1: Yeah, it's so important and it's a great question. It's so important that we bring different perspectives to the table. So for example, who is most impacted by climate change? It's people of color. And yet when we go into some of these rooms uh, where there's leadership and conversations being had, there are no people of color sitting around making the decisions, having those strategic conversations. And what we see is the same folks at the table saying, this is what's good for people of color. This is good for those communities. What we need is folks actually in those communities to be representing themselves as well as their community. That way we get their background, we get their on the ground experience, how they grew up, what they're seeing, right? If we don't have those voices with those stories and that background, we're missing out on a really big part of it. You have a bunch of folks uh, at the table currently who have never been to a lot of these communities and yet try to speak for those communities. So what we need to do to help better our environmental movement to make it grow, to make it strong, is we need people of color to be to have those leadership roles, and to also make sure that they have a voice and that they're succeeding to help the environmental movement uh, move forward. Until we do that, and unless we do that, we're really not going to be moving forward at, at the pace that we should. And it's critical, it's vital that those that those voices uh, are, are heard, and not only heard, but that they are they're They have power and that they represent their organizations and not just say, oh, we're going to hire you, we're going to bring you in, and you're going to stay at kind of an entry-level position. We need people of color to actually be given a chance and opportunity to have that leadership role, to speak for the organization, to give their perspective, and and to really grow and move the, the environmental movement. And with that comes the importance of youth and diversity we need right. to show we need to show our youth that the environmental movement is a place that's inclusive where they can grow have a voice be strong leaders if we're not doing that and all these passionate young amazing people are going to go elsewhere with their passion they're going to look at the environmental movement and they're going to say i don't fit in here i don't feel like i can have a strong impact and until we start changing who sits at the table, who's on the board and making sure that youth, uh, diverse youth have a strong voice, uh, we, we're not gonna be able to really gain much ground. And that's why organizations like our climate, the Sunrise Movement have been so brilliant in bringing youth to the table to give them a voice, amplify uh, kind of their message and, and that's what you've seen over the years because what they're doing is not only are they giving youth power and a voice within the movement, but they're bringing their, their moms, their dads, their grandparents, they're bringing everyone with them. And so that is so important to see the power that youth has and to make sure that it's diverse youth and the power that that has to help make the movement even stronger. And so I'm so encouraged when I, when I talk to you uh, you are obviously exactly what I'm talking about in the youth category. And, and it's amazing that you're, you're so young and passionate in the work you do. And I, for one, would love to kind of hear how, how did you get involved and, and kind of tell me a little bit about your journey. I think that'd be awesome to hear.
0: Yeah, thank you. So I'm currently a senior at the University of Washington. Um, my path to climate change it's not, it was not very linear. It's something that like ever since I was a small girl and I watch, I don't know if anyone knows the movie Day After Tomorrow, but I watched that movie as a young girl. And ever since I've just had such bad anxiety about, okay, what planet is left for me and a future generations? Um, and after kind of like toying with this anxiety, I thought, okay, well, Either yes, it is a very terrible movie. Um, but uh, either I could, you know, not do anything or be proactive. And when I kind of shifted my way of thinking of viewing climate change not as some, you know, gloom story, what's been said and done, but more so as an opportunity for change and to really see what we can achieve when we work together that was exciting for me and that build momentum and passion. Um, And so I'm really excited to be working with our climate because this is really like my first hands-on experience with an environmental organization. And I was just really excited, kind of like what you were saying about its investment in young folks because young folks are really bearing the brunt of the effects of climate change And we are constantly being turned away from the decision table as being, you know, too young, too radical to enact change. And so I really appreciate the point you brought up about why it's so important to have an inclusive environment, because when you're dismissing certain communities, you're turning away passion and momentum. And it's almost discouraging. And there's so many talented people who were hungry for change and once we start getting a seat at the table and communities of color have more access, I really agree with you. I think that's what's going to create this snowballing effect uh, for climate change. Um, I also think another bring up kind of what you were saying about in terms of people of color who do make it in, maybe they're not, you know, getting promotions that they deserve and there's, you know, bias um, in the hiring process. Um, how, how do you, at Green 2.0, how do you hold these organizations accountable and really assess um, the impact of their current policies?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And so we're all about uh, not only looking at the data, but we're also looking to do a spotlight on organizations and foundations that are doing much better, but we're also you know, absolutely willing to talk um, about those organizations and foundations that are not where they need to be. Again, it is 2020 and it's unacceptable for organizations to continue some of their, their practicing hires. And so we, we hold them accountable. And we do this through a series of reports that we do every year, we do it through our report card. You know, we're always we're, we're big on social media and talking to the media, we go to Congress. Uh, so we, we talk with committees, and we talk with members of Congress and let them know the exact state of diversity in the environmental movement. And it's, we're the only group that actually does that in the country. And so oh. it's, we're extremely that that's very important. And it's, there are no other groups out there letting members of Congress, for example, know exactly what certain groups are up to internally. And it's so important now more than ever for for decision makers, for lawmakers to understand that. And so we'll be talking to future administrations as well. And obviously organizations like our climate. And we've been working and partnering with a, with a host of other organizations to kind of let them know what's happening, because at the end of the day, it takes more than green 2.0. It takes more than just our climate. We need to be working together in a network and partnering together on these issues and making sure that we all understand the exact state of the environmental movement so that we can make it better. Uh, I alone can't do it. You alone, Sean can't do it. And so we need to partner up. We need to work with members with, with congressional staff and members of Congress to really push that ball further. And so One of the exciting things, again, going back to youth, is just exactly how passionate they are and motivated they are when it comes to voting. When it comes to going and talking with their members of Congress and joining organizations, they're very motivated and that can be such a helpful tool to help make the environmental movement that much stronger. And so one of the things that I kind of wanted to ask you are what are some of the things that, for example, you and your friends have been doing uh, to, you know, when it comes to working with Congress or other groups and partnering? Um, and do you think that's working? Do you, does, do you think that that partnering and network is something that's, that's helping? Or do you see so that if there's, you're running into a wall with some of those partnerships?
0: Yeah, uh, good question. I think at the end of the day, building coalition is so important um, if we really want to combine strengths. And so I really do think it's helpful because I think what we're seeing is a snowball effect. Um, so at our climate uh, recently, we've been doing a lot of get out the vote. And a part of that is not only do we like message X amount of people, like this is the link to register, please vote. But we add in this thing at the end and it's like, will you pledge to send this message to like three of your friends? And by doing that, not only are people who are receiving messages from their friends versus someone they don't know, like they would be more receptive, but it's kind of building this grassroots movement and where we're seeing the snowball effect of more and more people reaching out to their communities, um, getting out the vote. And so the short answer to your question is yes, I think that's super um, important. And I think we are seeing the results of, especially within, I mean, I think I can only speak for Gen Z, but we're really seeing people starting to recognize the power they can have when they work together. And I think that's very valuable because, again, this goes back to what you're saying of talented people feeling like they don't have a voice and taking it somewhere else. And so I think when you see that your small actions when combined with others can really build tangible momentum, that's only attracting more people to the cause. So I think that's um, a very important part of grassroots organizing and activism. It
1: takes a village, you can't do anything alone. And I think that there's some really great networks out there. And I'll give you an example. Green Latinos, uh, for example, is an amazing national network of over 500 groups Uh, And individuals, and they're able to, through Green Latinos, talk to one another, share information, share stories, share job opportunities. And so it's invaluable to have these kinds of networks where folks can feel very kind of open and feel very safe. And so it's extremely important, not only for new hires, even staff that's been there for a while to feel like they're not on this journey alone that there are others out there experiencing the same thing that they might be experiencing, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I think one of the hardest parts for, let's say, new staff or, or staff that's been there for a while in these organizations is to feel very alone and, and think, oh, if I speak up, I might get fired. If I, if I say something, if I ask for a raise, if I'm asking why I haven't been promoted, what's going to happen to my job? And I think that there's always strength in numbers. And so one of the things that I've seen recently in organizations is staff coming together internally to kind of talk and have those, those safe conversations amongst themselves and work together um, internally to try to make their situation at whatever organization or foundation they're at uh, much better for them, which then creates uh, a better movement altogether because when one or many of us succeed, Uh, we all succeed and we all move the the voice in the movement that much further. But I will say that over the last couple of months, one of the things that I can continue to say is when I talk to staff, because staff reaches out is you're not alone. And I, and I don't want folks to feel like their journey or their struggles are, are only theirs because it's not true. Whatever they're going through is happening in many organizations, unfortunately, in many foundations, as you saw what happened, for example, with the Union of Concerned Scientists, with, the, with one of their brave staff kind of commenting on her way out what was actually happening, it had an incredible ripple effect. And so it really helped other staff. It helped organizations understand that what's happening with their staff, it, it's opened up conversations, and it's caused a lot of organizations and foundations to reevaluate or even put together their strategic plan and mission.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that definitely um, seems like a domino fact when you have more and more organizations tipping towards diversity and inclusion. That in itself seems to put pressure on the organizations which are lagging behind um, to really get with the program. Um, in terms of making organizations more inclusive i know that um you know putting a statement on your website is very different from making like tangible changes to your organization and you know even making certain changes you kind of always have to assess well what's the impact of this um is it really substantive or not how does green 2.0 kind of differentiate that fine line of almost performative activism and kind of putting out mission statements to include diversity as like some like politically correct trend versus actually going through the work of having those conversations and making real cultural change?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's very clear and maybe it's because I've been doing this for a while in this space, but it's very clear when an organization is putting out statements or tons of social media from one day to another, uh, I like to think of it as vomiting it out. And so all of a sudden from one day to another, you're just like, it's Black Lives Matter and this and that. And it's just, I've never seen this before from this organization, but all of a sudden uh, they're issuing statements and tons of social media. But then if you start kind of Going a little bit further and deeper, and you go into, for example, their website, and you look at who's at their leaderboard, who's mm-hmm. on their board, who's, who's their leadership, uh, you start seeing a very different story. You start seeing that all of this is a band-aid or fresh coat of paint that will eventually fall off, and it's not real. If it was real, you would see a much different picture when you go onto their website of who's actually sitting at the table and making those decisions at their organizations. And so I think a lot of organizations are really doing the right thing and working toward actual change. Like I mentioned, changing or putting together their strategic mission. So putting it in writing, working with other partners, as I mentioned as well. And so those are active steps. Every year, we actually see how organizations are doing because we have the data that we've collected throughout the year to say, this is actually, they're actually moving in the right direction or they're not. You can't hide from that report card. You can't hide from that data. And so, those are the tools that we use. You know, a lot of organizations that I've talked to will paint this wonderful picture of saying, oh we have a task force in place so we have a task force so oh everything must be fantastic now because you put together a task force uh little do they know that a lot of times their staff is is talking to me saying we've had this task force for a year and not one thing has happened and we've met twice right and so a lot of times organizations will put out tons of different things but you dig a little bit and then all of a sudden you, you see there isn't much to what they're saying they're just trying to get more clicks. They're trying to make sure that their volunteers and their members are happy with the messaging that's coming out, at least the temporary messaging that's coming out. But if volunteers and members of these organizations start taking a closer look and just look and go to their, to that organization's leadership page, it might tell a completely different story.
0: Yeah, I think you bring up a really good point of, you know, taking those statements with a grain of salt, and then kind of investigating deeper into, you know, what's really going on behind, um, you know, a little social media post. Um, I do think that's actually a big problem of um, kind of this performative aspect of, you know, creating the illusion of diversity, but not being willing to, you know, really have that hard conversation with yourself and change and change the way your organization is structured. And I, and I feel like there is a lot of hesitancy um, to do that. And so going on that, I know green 2.0 is, you know, working to change the numbers, but how do you think we can really change that general culture Um, with organizations that have been so historically exclusive?
1: Well, first there needs to be a culture change and a foundation change within these organizations until these organizations want to get out of their comfort zone and are willing to take some steps that will be difficult and have conversations that aren't easy until they're willing to actually embrace the different cultures and backgrounds of their staff or bring in staff that have these different cultures and background and put them all throughout the organization. And so by that, I mean, don't just bring in a person of color and say, oh, this person is going to be our, our diversity and inclusion person for our organization. This person is going to, don't box people of color in. They have so much to give. There's, we are so talented in so many different ways. Make us your scientists, your comms directors, your program managers. You know, it's important for organizations to make sure that people of color have all sorts of wonderful leadership roles in all sorts of different things, because there's so much talent out there and, and, it, and it should be filled with people of color. If you are only hiring for one position and you say, well, I have a person of color and they do my diversity work, so we should be good. That's right. You're failing. You are absolutely failing and you're doing it completely wrong. You need to change the culture and the foundation of the organization. And by that, you need to be bringing in people of color in all sorts of positions. And until you do that and you get out of that mentality that a person of color that brought, that's brought into an organization has to fill this role because you know, that makes sense, until they get out of that mindset we cannot change and that's so important that organizations realize that there are an abundance of amazing people of color already out in the field and coming out from universities you know with their bachelor's or their master's or phd and they're looking for wonderful jobs and are very passionate about the issues i'm sure you very very well know exactly some amazing folks at your university that are ready to enter the workforce and and can have some of these amazing jobs. One of the things that I stress about to organizations is you also need to give new hires, young staff, even staff that's been there for a while, the tools to succeed. Mm. So that means more than sometimes just a, a pay raise or a title increase. Ask them if they, you know, what, what do they need to grow in the position? What do they need to grow as in the environmental movement, and what do they need? What can they? What can the organization be doing to have them grow as a person? And so, is does that mean putting if they're interested in furthering their education? Does that mean helping out in some way? Does it mean getting a certificate, perhaps in in writing or in something that they're very passionate about to help them? Because at the end of the day, by helping them, you're creating a staff that is very grateful, that wants to work even harder, that knows that the organization is, is looking out for their best interest. And so you're, you're really, and you're making the organization better by helping your staff. And so there's lots of different things that, that organizations can do. When you look, uh, for example, at the environmental movement, I'd be interested to know, what do you, what do you think when you look at it right now? Are, are we doing all right? Are we, is it a place that you're excited and ready to jump into, or is there any hesitancy on your end? And I'd be interested to know, kind of, what is that hesitancy if there is any?
0: Right. Um, Well, I think you bring up a really good point of, you know, making sure to invest in the people that are joining on. Um, And that's actually a thing that our climate does really well, is making sure to invest and their you know, newcomers and fellows by offering like educational stipends and stipends to you know, go to conferences, to network. And I think that is really important. Um, and I think that would be a really good way to make sure, especially communities of color, um, feel empowered to really fulfill their potential. Um, I guess myself coming in to the climate um, justice realm, it, I, before our interview, I I knew it wasn't super diverse. And then I kind of looked at statistics here, and then kind of had a sad moment of truth, (laughs) a little realization. But I think I see the changes happening. And I'm seeing a more progressive shift. And I do have to take that with a grain of salt, because I'm in a very liberal area. But I think there are a lot of national organizations that are dedicated to changing and making it inclusive. And I think kind of what you were saying and that making those changes that will help those organizations because there are, there's so much value in different perspectives. And so I think for me, I really am seeing more inclusion and more, excitement of getting young folks and people of diverse backgrounds. Um, But I also think you made a good point of, you know, to make those cultural changes, you need to have, you know, a moment of going out of your comfort zone. And I think that's where a lot of people get stuck because when you're surrounded by all these people who have come from similar experiences, the way you see the world will be more similar than different likely because of that. And if you're always around people who are similar to you or have similar perspectives, you're not gonna be challenged. Your reality, the way you view a problem that won't be challenged to, you know, such a extent to a larger degree. And so that is comfortable. But I think what, you know, a lot of people don't realize is that discomfort, going out of your comfort zone, listening to perspective that might change the way, completely revolutionize the way you view a problem and you know, present solutions that you didn't think of, that moment of discomfort is really where I think innovation happens because homogeneity, that is a limitation. And I really think if we wanna combine strengths as you know a world community, you need to be combining everyone's unique perspectives on things because that's where we get creative problem solving. So I, I really appreciate the work um, that Green 2.0 is doing. Um,
1: yeah I think Gary said it great in the comment box. Uh, he mentioned kind of the idea that we're all connected in a community, and I think that we yeah. as a movement need to understand that moving forward that we it isn't you know Bob or sue in the in the west coast and and you know Rahul and Andres you know down the, in you know in another part of the country. This impacts us all, it impacts us. It doesn't matter what race or age uh, this is impacting all of us and it's a fight that we all need to stand up and take for not only for ourselves but our, for the future generations and it takes again more than just one it takes a collective it takes a yeah. community as gary mentioned for for us to really succeed at this and what that means about the community is being inclusive bringing everyone together making everyone feel welcomed sharing the power and making sure that it's not a collection uh just one collection having the power where like it has been in the past but we need to make sure that all of the voices are heard we have a diverse table as i've mentioned before and that the, we're striving and working and not forgetting that that's an important part of what we're trying to do and accomplish as we move forward
0: right i think um an unfortunate trap of human thinking is, you know, we often fall into that short-term thinking logic. And it just feels like so many people are wasting time caught up in, you know, trying to preserve their own power or, you know, just over superficial issues, but we're not realizing we're all being affected by very, very big issue and that is climate change. And we don't really have, you know, time to stall this change. You know, we need change now and we need to be having these conversations now. So I guess my question for you is, how is Green 2.0 making sure, you know, numbers and cultures of organizations are changing quickly? Because I know historically it, it takes time to change a general culture. So how are you guys ensuring that that's that process is being sped up?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I've got my foot on the gas from day one and I'm not letting up. <laughs> so Green 2.0 in the past was not a Hill and administration focused. That's changed uh upon me coming to Green 2.0. Uh, it's important that our leaders understand exactly what is happening so group B comes in and says, let's work on ocean issues or public land issues. What I want members of Congress and committees to say is that's great, let's work on that. it's important. But before we do I need to understand and learn why your organization refuses to bring people of color to the table into your organization. Why do you refuse to bring give people of color a voice? and let them represent your organization. And so we're putting our foot on the gas on, with lawmakers, with future administration. We are going to foundations and saying to foundations because so many organizations are dependent on these foundations and saying to them uh, and without blinking and saying, if you fund one of these groups that I have told you, that we have told you and shown you data on that is not being transparent that does not care about bringing and, and building people of color within your organization if knowing that you continue to fund them i want you to know 100 percent this is a reflection on you your values and your mission as a foundation and when i go and when green 2.0 goes and talks To the media or put something on social media about these groups that refuse to be transparent, we will absolutely include your name on it because you are as guilty as they are for letting this happen. You are funding these groups knowing exactly what the outcome is, and that is unacceptable. It is 2020. It was unacceptable. It's always been unacceptable, but now more than ever, uh, this cannot happen. This cannot go on. And we are a national group that will make sure that those names of these organizations and foundations that are not working on these issues is well known.
0: Yeah, that's really powerful. I I like the kind of no tolerance attitude because you're right, this has been going for far too long and we just simply don't have the time to tolerate it any longer. Um, I'm just, I'm kind of curious though, uh, what have been some of the responses of organizations that haven't been meeting um, really any sort of diversity standards, how do they oftentimes react to statements like you just said? Not
1: well, shockingly, right? <laughs> so uh, the first thing was when I, when I came and, and, I, and I jumped on the phone with every big green group in the country, every president and CEO, I told them about our, our plan to go to the Hill and to go to their perceived backyard and, and talk to uh, Congress. Interestingly enough, some of the groups who actually are working on these issues said, great. And some of the groups, as you can imagine, that are not working on these issues said, wait, what? What did you say? <laughs> Which is exactly the reaction that I wanted from them. That's exactly the kind of, oh, hold on, pause, uh, kind of moment that I, that I absolutely wanted. Now, some of these groups uh, are nervous because of three things. Again, it's getting out of their comfort zone. They're not transparent because they don't want their volunteers or members to know exactly what's going on internally when it comes to hire, their hiring practices. and they, And a lot of these organizations do not want their funders. To know what's happening when when it comes to the other practicing hires either because they're scared the funders as I talked about a second ago will pull back that funding saying we can't continue to fund organizations that that are not working on these issues And so I've gotten kind of the response of organizations saying great and then I've gotten others that are much more apprehensive and saying well, wait a minute like let's let's talk this through and and what I've said to them is our time for talking and is, is done. Like we need to see results. I don't need to see results uh, in a month or a year from now. Yeah. A lot of these organizations are hiring even throughout the pandemic. That has not stopped them from hiring. And so I say to them, this is a perfect opportunity for you to do the right thing and look outside your current box and look at this wonderful talent pool of people of color and use this opportunity to strengthen your organization because that's what you're doing when you bring in people of color, you're strengthening your organization. And so the time is now, it's you know some organizations aren't hiring freezes, not all of them. There's lots that have been hiring throughout and they need to use this opportunity in this time today, not a month from now, not a year from now, not a strategic plan that says in the next 10 years, this is what's gonna happen but something that, that needs to happen quickly. So that's that's kind of how we're approaching that.
0: And do you at Green 2.0, do you work with organizations in making plans to meet those goals? Or are you guys more concerned with just making sure they meet them, but you're not really um, monitoring how they necessarily get there?
1: We. That's a good question because I think, In the past, we've been more helpful to organizations uh, around going in and helping them doing this one-on-one, helping with coaching, helping them find the tools that they need. Uh, With my arrival, that's changed. It's just my approach, right? And so my approach is, if it means enough to you, if you are committed enough to do this work, you need to find the resources, you need to find the money, you need to do this on your own. We are going to be watching you. We are going to be holding organizations and foundations accountable, but we will not help you and hold your hand to get there. That is up to you. If this means enough to you, as it should, you will find a way to do it.
0: Yeah, I really appreciate that um, outlook because, you know, at the end of the day, we all have responsibility, especially people, you know, with certain privileges. You know, it's really up to us to do the work and the research and to have those conversations with ourselves, you know, it, it can't, not all that burden can be placed on communities of color all the time and advocating that. And I think, I think that will, you know, elicit change in the way people think of when they really sit down with themselves and they, they take that time to adjust their way of thinking on their own. Um,
1: yeah, it's absolutely. a
0: vulnerable process. And I and I think yeah. it's so important. And we all share that responsibility. It's very important.
1: Absolutely. Real
0: quick, I wanted to
1: ask uh, being one of the, now that I have uh, a, someone, a, a young person in, in this in this environment and in, in, in college, what do you see as the most successful thing that Zero Hour and the Sunrise Movement have brought to the table? Where do you see how have they changed the game kind of how are they what do you what do you see their role in the
0: environmental movement as being i'm you know quite frankly i'm actually not too familiar with the sunrise uh movement in particular um is there a specific aspect of that
1: organization it's it's a no it's it's another it's a youth-led organization of activists around the country and Zero Hour is as well. There's just so many groups out there with with youth leaders, and and it's just fantastic to see. And so I kind of, I guess to to change the question a little bit more is, how do you see the role of youth moving forward in the environmental movement? Where do you see they can make the most change?
0: Well, I I see youth as leaders. Um, (laughs) I think before, you know, there was a culture of having, you know, young folks do a lot of the the grant work. Like, I've had internships where, you know, you're just doing the jobs that no one else wants to do, like entering data on a spreadsheet, and you're not really included in those organization conversations um, or in strategic planning. And so, what I'm seeing now is this shift where, you know, the youth are very much involved in, you know, campaigning, and they're being invested in, and, you know, really taken seriously. And I think what that's doing, it's not only, you know, creating folks who, you know, they just do their job and then they, they leave, but they're really, it's creating a lifelong um, activism journey with young folks. And so that's what I'm saying. I'm saying early, earlier and earlier, young folks are really starting their journeys of becoming lifelong advocates. And I think in terms of activism, that's what I take with me. It's not just a job, you know, it's not just going to one protest. It's how you live your life and every day. And it can take so many forms from starting those conversations with friends and family. And I think that's something really special I'm seeing right now in organizations is they're really taking that spirit of the youth because we are so passionate. Um, and it's really intentionalized, intentionally reforming that into applicable and tangible leadership skills. Um, so I'm very excited to see what Gen Z does. So i just like to thank everyone for coming out and listening to this, especially Andres for taking time out of your busy schedule. Um, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Um we would like to ask to make sure um everyone, if you can, please share this series um with your networks, with your friends.
1: by everyone.